As a pastor, I've done a lot of funerals, and most of the time it is people who have lived a full life. There's a feeling of relief for so many in the crowd as a grandma or great-grandpa is finally going to be with the Lord and stop suffering as many do at the end of their life. But when the funeral is for a child, the worst thing someone has to do in their life is say goodbye to their child. If you're a Christian, it isn't goodbye, it is a temporary absence. But that absence is one that one wants, that no one, but that absence is one that no one wants to face. It is heartbreaking. I was on the beach working through what I felt God wanted to say about this particular subject. I stared just looking at the waves for hours before writing the first word. As I stared at the waves, I was perplexed by them. They never stopped. When I lived in Fresno, about every four months, I felt like I had to get out of Fresno. I love Fresno, but I would get really claustrophobic in this town for some reason. I needed to get to the mountains or the beach just to breathe. That probably doesn't make sense, but it was just this weird feeling of needing to see the bigger picture in life. When I would get to the beach, which was about three hours away, I would take off my shoes, walk on the beach toward the ocean, and then sit and stare at the waves. Every time I stared at the waves, I was perplexed. They look exactly like they did the last time I was there. That may not sound like rocket science for anyone who has been to a beach, but how is that possible? These waves are always here. I have been away from them for four months and they never stopped. They just kept coming one after the other forever. They have been there for thousands of years doing the same thing over and over again. We have wars that have devastated our world, changed the human geography of our land, and yet the waves don't care. They just keep hitting that beach one after the other. We have devastating plagues that eliminated thousands of people and the waves don't care. They just keep going. They are always there doing what they do. We've had national disasters that destroyed populations and the waves kept going. No matter what happens in this world, the waves never stop. As I stare at the waves again, I think of a God who created them to remind me that he never stops being there. I forget about him. I get caught up with the ups and downs of life, the tragedies, the many questions I have about this weird world that we live in, but he never stops being there. He continues to be God even if we forget about him. In Psalm 89, it says, You rule over the surging sea. When its waves mount up, you still them. The heavens are yours, and yours also the earth. You founded the world and all that is in it. Your arm is endowed with power. Your hand is strong, your right hand exalted. Righteousness and justice are the foundation of your throne. Love and faithfulness go before you. Blessed are those who have learned to acclaim you, who walk in the light of your presence. Lord, they rejoice in your name all day long. They celebrate your righteousness. I will set his hand over the sea, his right hand over the rivers. He will call out to me, you are my father, my God, the rock, my savior. See, even in David's writing, you can hear the questions of asking why God, if you rule over this world, why must we face tragedy, such pain? You have so much power, righteousness, and justice, and you sit on the throne above. We rejoice in your name, and you control the sea. Why, Lord, why? 
do we have to face so much mocking of who you are? Why, Lord, do we have to see the enemy win so much in this world? Why, Lord, do we have to watch bad things happen to those we love? If you're asking the question why, if you're crying out the question why, you are no different than those in the Bible who also asked why. Why, Lord? And it is okay. God can handle the question why. In Matthew 8, we see the story of the disciples caught in a ferocious storm. Jesus is sleeping while the storm is destroying the boat. The disciples woke him and said, Lord, save us. We're going to drown. He replied, you of little faith, why are you so afraid? Then he got up and rebuked the winds and the waves, and it was completely calm. The men were amazed and asked, what kind of man is this? Even the winds and the waves obey him. The wind, the waves obey him. Why, Lord, do we have to face the storms of life when the wind and the waves obey you? As I sat on the beach reading these scriptures, I felt the wind from the ocean hitting my face. I realized just like the waves that never stop, the wind never stops. I live in an area that gets hit every year by these infamous Santa Ana winds, and they're so strong that they make my house shake. Those winds without fail come every year. The wind never stops. And our God has control over the wind. And as I feel the wind, I think of a God who created it, reminding me that he never stops being there. I forget about him. I get caught up with the ups and downs of life. But he never stops being there. Like the waves and the wind, no matter what this life brings, they continue on. In Genesis 8, there's this incredible story of a flood, an ark, a man named Noah. And it says, But God remembered Noah and all the wild animals and the livestock that were with him in the ark. And he sent a wind over the earth and the waters receded. Now the springs of the deep and the floodgates of the heavens had been closed and the rain had stopped falling from the sky. The water receded steadily from the earth. At the end of the 150 days, the water had gone down. You see, the devastating flood was over. And again, God showed his control over the wind, the rain, the ocean, and the waves. God reminded them that he had never left them. In Matthew 14, the disciples are again on a lake, and Jesus walks on water to meet them at the boat. They are terrified when they see him, and he says, Take courage, it is I, don't be afraid. Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. Come, he said. Then Peter got down out of the boat, walked on the water, and came toward Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid, and beginning to sink, cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You of little faith, he said, why did you doubt? And when they climbed into the boat, the wind died down. Then those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly you are the Son of God. Once again, Jesus reminded them he was still in control. They didn't understand what control meant, but they knew he was God and they knew he was with them. We don't understand how the waves never stop. 
We don't understand how the wind never stops. We don't understand most things that happen in this world. God continues to remind us that He is still God. He loves us, and even in our rejection of Him, He never stops being here with us. We live in a fallen world. We live in a world that is at war. My entire life, it has been a world full of war, full of evil, and full of heartache. Why do we have to live in a world like this? It seems so unjust when children suffer and die. When Adam and Eve first sinned in the Garden of Eden, we lost out on a world that was free of sin. In Genesis 2.17, we were told that we would all suffer through death. He didn't say it would be this ripe old age of natural causes. He just said we would all experience death. I have been performing funerals my entire life. There will be many more, including every one of us listening to this right now. People die from the mistakes of others. Someone drinks and drives. Someone leaves a pool gate open. Someone murders. People die from natural parts of our planet, a natural disaster or gravity that keeps us on the planet. The same fire that keeps us warm has killed. The same water that keeps us alive has caused others to die through flood or drowning. We have disease, sins, and natural laws that cause death every day. None of this lessens the pain that we feel, nor does it bring understanding. But we live in a fallen world that shows no mercy. What we hold on to in the midst of this world is that our God still reigns. We yell at God for allowing us to live within it, or we humble ourselves before God and believe He is still the one who calms the storm, controls the waves, and holds us in the midst of tragedy. We've been given free will to choose how we will experience our loss. In Matthew 12, 38, when some of the scribes and the Pharisees told Jesus, Teacher, we wish to see a sign from you. He answered, An evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah, by which he's referring to his resurrection. Because the Lord doesn't want to interfere with our free will. He gives enough evidence of his existence so that those who want to believe will have their beliefs justified, but not so much evidence that those who don't want to believe will be forced to fiend loyalty. Oxford philosopher Richard Swinburne puts this in perspective. He says, If God is to allow us to acquire knowledge by learning from experience, and above all to allow us to choose whether to acquire knowledge at all, or even to allow us to have a very well-justified knowledge of the consequence of our actions, knowledge which we need if we are to have a free and worthwhile choice between good and bad. He needs to provide natural evils occurring in regular ways in consequence of natural processes, or that he needs to do this if he is not to give us too evident an awareness of his presence. This quote does not make us feel better, quite the contrary. We still have so many questions of why God would allow this to happen to the one I know, to the one I love. Furthermore, why would a God who was so great allow this to happen to a child? If God is so powerful, could he at least protect the child? If we were God, we would not let a child die from disease. Having said that, We would not let a child die from a car hitting them, or a fire, or an evil person. Of course, we would not let a child be maimed, or molested, or anything like that. But what age would we say 
okay, now it's okay. Of course, we would never say that. We want indestructible bodies, not only for children, but for all. Yet we know that's impossible. If it was possible, we would just let our kids play in the street, never teach them the dangers of cars, the dangers of strangers, the dangers of so many things in our world. We want a God to do miracles every second of every day in a world that is fallen and full of sin, in a world where we, where, in a world where we have to decide if we believe in God, and if we do believe in Him, will we follow Him? Will we have the faith to follow Him with just a little bit of evidence and live a life for God that goes beyond this fallen world where death is very real and a part of it? Our God calls us to him by showing us that in the midst of a chaotic, sinful world, the waves never stop. The wind continues to blow. And he is here with you now because he never stopped being with you, even if you stopped being with him. He teaches us, he teaches us courage, patience, compassion, selflessness, humility, and to be the change in a world of suffering he teaches us that true happiness will not come from what this world can give you. We learn that we will be let down by this world and everything this world tells us is security. It is not. Ultimately, we learn that only God will bring true fulfillment in a fallen world. Not everyone accepts this. That is the choice that has been put before you. The free will that you have been given. The Apostle Paul wrote, To be absent from the body is to be with the Lord in 2 Corinthians 5.8. The truth is this, when a Christian leaves behind his body, his spirit goes into the presence of the Lord. He or she is with the Lord. Jesus said in John 11.24, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me shall live even if he dies. I can only imagine what that child is experiencing in this moment. In the book of Acts, in the Bible, Jesus speaks of leaving this world to create an incredible place called heaven for those who follow him. This child is alive in that place. It is her loved ones and us who experience the loss. Luke 18, 16 is where Jesus said, Permit the children to come to me and do not hinder them, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it at all. Millard Erickson asked, Could it be that Jesus was using as the object lesson in his plea for a certain quality individuals who do not actually embody that equality? That would seem strange indeed. Thus, if Jesus was affirming that those who would enter into the kingdom must be like these children... He seems to be asserting as a premise in his argument that these children were in the kingdom. Some would go early and be in the kingdom. There's an incredibly poignant poem I read about Lost that said, Don't grieve for me, for now I'm free. I'm following the path that God laid for me. I took his hand when I heard him call. I turned my back and left it all. Tasks left undone must stay that way. I found that peace at the close of the day. If my parting has left behind a void, then fill it with remembered joy. A friendship shared, a laugh, a kiss. Ah, yes, these things I too will miss. B, 
Be not burdened with times of sorrow. I wish for you the sunshine of tomorrow. My life has been full. I've savored much. Good friends, good times, my loved ones touch. If my life seemed all too brief, don't lengthen it now by undue grief. Lift up your heart. Rejoice with me. God wanted me now. He set me free. Many Christians I've known who have lost children take comfort in the realization that because of Jesus... God knows what it's like to have lost a child, and he promises that a world comes where, as it says in Revelation 21.4, there will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. In Joshua 1, we see Joshua called to take the leadership role after his mentor Moses had gone to be with the Lord. He says, just as I have been with Moses, I will be with you. I will not fail you or forsake you. Be strong and courageous. Do not tremble or be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. He is calling Joshua to strength and courage. The call to be strong and courageous came in a time of vulnerability, of stress, of hurt, of uncertainty for Joshua. Joshua's leaders, his mentor, his close friend had just died. It was sudden, but he had already spoken with Joshua to be the next leader. It was a time of vulnerability and transition. It's the first time, the first thing that we learn. That's the first thing we learn about courage is being courageous will always involve vulnerability. Courage is not being stoic. It is not being careless with life. It is not bravado. Being courageous will always involve vulnerability because vulnerability is brave. Embedded in the text is the idea that the strength has to come from the Lord, not from Joshua himself. That's why the call came in a time of vulnerability. Seeing our vulnerability and brokenness as a gift means truly believing our own theology. When it says, I am weak, but he is strong because his power is perfected in my weakness. We don't like being vulnerable. It's risky. It's painful. Yet God says in my brokenness, the Lord moves to make me stronger in him and to show himself strong in and through me. God's soil that he uses to grow things is the soil of brokenness and vulnerability because those grow courage and courage allows us to trust and risk and live for something bigger than ourselves. God was forming his image Joshua, as he is doing with you and I. God was inviting him to be more fully who God made him to be. He didn't have to be Moses. He had to be fully Joshua. He didn't have to figure it all out. He had to follow God. He was being asked to step out in a new way, outside his comfort zone, outside his known paradigm, and to do so in the midst of vulnerability that comes with transition and change, even loss. If Joshua wasn't afraid, then God would not have started out the words with, Do not be afraid. If Joshua, if, Joshua, if Joshua wasn't afraid, God would not have said, Do not be afraid in his first words to Joshua. When we are vulnerable, we want to protect ourselves, so we put up thick walls around our hearts. When change is disconcerting, we want to revert to old ways so we have some control. The thing about transition is often what has gotten you this far will not be what takes you further. And that's why it requires vulnerability. So the call is to be strong and courageous. God was saying to Joshua, I know everything has changed, but my promises 
don't change. The waves are still there. The wind is still blowing. And my promises have not changed to you. I am still with you. In verse 5, he said, Just as I have been with Moses, I will be with you. I will not fail you or forsake you. In verse 9, he says, For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. The source of our strength and courage is this promise that I am with you. Translated from the original language, it reads more like this. I am with you. I will never, ever leave you. I will never, never, never forsake you. It's emphatic. It's undeniable. No matter what you are feeling, I've got you. No matter where you go, I'm already there. It's the incarnation, Emmanuel, it's the incarnation, Emmanuel God with us. We know this promise is for us because in 2 Corinthians 1.20, it says, In Christ, all the promises of God are yes and amen. It is amazing to me to think about the God who designed this world. It is amazing to me to think about the way God designed this world. The world in which we have sickness and pain, struggle and heartache goes by so fast. It is a breath in the timeline of the world. And the world with God, heaven, no crying, no pain, and complete joy lasts for an eternity. If Jesus Christ is your Savior, you will experience this next world forever. If you know this Christ, there is a day in which you will see that child again. And if you're listening now and you don't know this Christ, you are not experiencing God's best. The world is temporary. Our lives are short. He is creating something far beyond this place. And he also wants you to experience his best in this world. And if you're here listening and you do not know this Lord, this Savior, then you always have the opportunity to know him like the waves, like the wind. He is there. He has always been there. You just need to turn to him once again. The Bible says in Romans 3.23, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We've all messed up. We've all walked away. But he is still there. Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. He brings us life. Romans 10.9 says, If you declare it with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So if you are here and you have not made this commitment to God, take a moment in this quietness to declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe it in your heart that God raised him from the dead. If you have accepted Christ as a part of listening to this time on this podcast, I'd like you to send me an email teamperformancecoaching at gmail.com teamperformancecoaching at gmail.com I'd like to send you something I'd like to walk with you in this journey forward this is something you don't have to face alone and if you're experiencing a loss and you need someone to talk to someone to pray with I'd love to be here for you in this time send me an email and I will write you back I want to thank you for listening. Thank you for being part of this podcast. And I look forward to talking to you again very soon.